Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. pray, and then we're going to get into the Word today as we celebrate the Lord on this Pentecost Sunday. Father, we thank you today for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We just pray your blessing, Lord, over this message today, over the offering, Lord, that has been received as people have come in or as they give online. We just ask God, again, for your anointing. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts. Just come today, and we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise today. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, worship team. Didn't the worship team do a great job? Man, what a great time of just entering into the Lord's presence. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you? And you weren't quite sure if they were going to keep it or not, right? How many of you know people are good at making promises? Politicians are good at making promises they don't keep. How many of you are glad that God is not like a politician who doesn't keep his promises? The the scripture says that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about one of those promises today. I want to talk about a promise today that was found in the book of the Old Testament that is, is fulfilled and continuing to be fulfilled even today on this Pentecost Sunday as we look at it. What is the fulfillment of that promise? What is the Old Testament promise that we're going to focus in on today? It's the promise concerning the Holy Spirit. Concerning the Holy Spirit. And it's found in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, 28 through 30. There was a promise in the book of Joel. And it says this, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I love this promise of God in the Old Testament because this is a promise that doesn't just just keep things to just one particular group of people, but this is a promise for everyone, sons and daughters, old men and, 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 and I won't say old women, all right, old men and women, right, young men and servants, young men and women, God is, God is not going to discriminate, he doesn't discriminate And who he is going to give this promise to of his Holy Spirit. On all of those, I'll pour out my spirit. And this was significant. Because remember, this was in the Old Testament. This was back in the Old Testament. This was an Old Testament promise of God of of what was coming. Of what was coming. And, and, And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present and active. But in a little bit of a different way, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals at a certain time or a certain season. It would come on a particular individual, a select few people in the Bible experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon them in power for a specific reason or a specific way. A couple of examples of that. One would be Samson. How many remember Samson in the Old Testament? Samson, the judge in the Old Testament. We know that Samson had some some problems sometimes character-wise, didn't he? But yet God had chosen him. God had selected him. And, and in fact, in Judges 14, 19, it says, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. 
He was called by God to bring deliverance of the Israelites out of the hand of their enemies, the Philistines. And in order to do that, it was not going to be by his own might or his own power, but as Zechariah promises, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson for such a time and a season. He was chosen by God, and the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we see the prophet Samuel is is anointing a king, the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. And, and, And as he was anointing Saul to be king, he poured oil over him. Oil has often been a, a symbol associated with the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it over Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now, something, something incredible happened. This is what he told him would happen. Later on, chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, Samuel shares what's going to happen to Saul. And he says, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps being played before them. And and they will be prophesying. And then it says this, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person once these signs are fulfilled do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul that's exactly what happened exactly as Samuel had said he that, that that Saul had been anointed for the work that he was called to do a kingly anointing that he was called to do there was a, a power of the spirit that came upon him in that moment and when it came upon him he began to prophesy and people began to recognize that and they began to say and what happened to Saul There was a marked difference in Saul's life when the Spirit of God had come upon him. And this is what it was like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were certain individuals, a few key people here and there in which the Spirit of God would come upon them. And unlike, but like Samson and Saul and a few others, not everyone experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But the prophecy in the book of Joel stated something different. For what God did for a few in the Old Testament, God was going to do on all. What God had promised to do in the Old Testament, God would unleash and do on all. That was the the promise, and people anticipated the fulfillment of that promise. Jump ahead to the New Testament. We talked about it last week. Jesus arrives on the scene. His cousin, John the Baptist, is calling people to repentance, preparing for the Messiah. He's baptizing people. Jo- Jesus shows up and, 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 and says, you know, that he's ready to be baptized. And they said, well, <laughs> he says, whoa, 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 I, you need to baptize me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, this needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. And last week I showed, uh, we, we, we shared how, how John said that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. John 1, 32 and 33, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one uh, on who, who, excuse me, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
And it was the the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus that marked his identity to John, that confirmed to John that Jesus was the Messiah, the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And John said that the one who sent him told him on whom the Spirit remains, that's who the Messiah is. And, 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 and who fulfilled that promise? We, Jesus did. And in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove uh, and, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am love and whom I am well pleased. And from that moment on, Jesus moved out in ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit. He got up one day in the the tabernacle. He got in one one day in the synagogue. I'm sorry. And he he opened up the scriptures to a place in Isaiah where, where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is a, upon Jesus. It came in the form of a dove, but there was a promise attached to that. There was a promise attached to that. And John the Baptist talks about this promise that was attached to that, in which he says that, that uh, John said that, that, that I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Talking about Jesus. And this is part of the fulfillment of of this promise, this Old Testament promise in the book of Joel. The Old Testament promise in the book of Joel was about God pouring out his spirit on all people. And Jesus is the one whom John acknowledges and says, I baptize in water, but he's coming and he will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders and healing and discerning of spirits. Jesus moved out in those things. And the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come and immersing. The idea of baptism is immersing not only in water, but Jesus has come to immerse us in his spirit. In fact, after his resurrection in Luke 24, 46 to 49, Jesus explains what happens. We're doing a survey through scripture here. And Jesus says this, this is, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he tells his disciples, you're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. There's that word promised. I'm going to send you what my father has promised promise, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's talking about this promise, talking about the promise in the book of Joel. That's what, that's what Jesus is alluding to here. After his own death and resurrection, he says, now something is coming. The fulfillment of that promise is coming. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, because what, what has been promised is about to be fulfilled. I'm about to do what I said I would do. The helper, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he tells him to wait. And in Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5, it says on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's connecting the dots. These are not isolated incidences here and there. 
He's talking about what has been promised. He's, he's talking about what had been promised in the Old Testament in terms of the Holy Spirit. John knew it and said, Jesus, I baptize in water, but he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist knew it. People knew this promise. This was not a new thing. They knew the promise that was coming. Now Jesus is connecting that same teaching, that same idea. He's connecting it back to what John says, saying, John was right. What John said was true. And friends, understand, now that the, res- the, 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 the death, my death has happened and resurrection has happened, now it opens the way in the sequence because now there's a right relationship with God. And now the opportunity for this promise of the Holy Spirit to be fulfilled, not just on select individuals like in the Old Testament, but now in the promise in Joel on all people, on all men, all women, young and old, rich and poor. It doesn't matter your economy. It doesn't matter if you're, it, what, what you are doesn't matter on all people. That's the promise that we have. And he connects those dots and he says, you're, John, immerse you with water, but I I'm going to immerse you in my spirit. I'm going to immerse you in my spirit. See, understand that that Jesus is is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who is pouring out his spirit. Jesus is the one who is baptizing in his spirit. Once we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, once we, we... received his forgiveness and his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit convicting of our, of, our, of our sins has brought us into that right relationship with God, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end with, with, with a prayer of faith and commitment to the Lord. But Jesus wants to give you and fulfill in you a greater promise, the promise of walking in the power and in the anointing of his Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to fill you with his Spirit. He wants to immerse you in his spirit. He desires to do what was promised in the book of Joel. And he tells his followers to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says this. This is what will happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a purpose to this. There's a purpose to this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and, and receiving and being immersed in the Holy Spirit, there is a purpose for this, that you will be my witnesses. How many know we've been called to be witnesses? Jerusalem, that's a local area. Judea, Samaria, the surrounding towns, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We have been called to be his witnesses. How do we carry that out? We don't carry that out in our own power. We carry that out under the promise of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives the ability to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us to do. And what I want to point out is that these, this, this, this promise of the Holy Spirit, the word spoken in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5, in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point out that this is separate from what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit uh, in, in our lives at conversion. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Can I just, can I just make that separation? 
We receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience. Help me, let, me, let me help you understand what I'm talking about here. Why do I say this? In John chapter 20, starting in verse 21... Jesus, again, has resurrected from the grave. He's now appearing to his disciples who are, who are kind of hiding away. Uh, they're not sure what's happening or what's coming. And he, he appears to them after his resurrection. And, and this is what it says in verse 21, John 20, 21. Jesus appeared to the disciples and said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, look what it says. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So if this happened then, then why is he telling them at the end of the book of Luke in Luke 24, and why is he telling them in the beginning of, of Acts chapter 1 to now go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit? Because that what we're talking about is a separate experience. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a secondary work of grace, a second experience in which we are clothed with power from on high from the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us, and, and it's part of the new birth or being born again experience. Look what he says. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like a creation. Remember back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, what happened in creation? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. A living being. Part of our our, our, our creation experience being born was that we were, that, that God breathed the breath of life into man. But spiritually speaking, there is also this idea that when we receive uh, Jesus Christ into our lives, we receive new life and we are not simply born of water. But as John 3, 5 says, uh, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of the spirit, born of the spirit. And so when you receive Christ into your life at salvation, when you, when you uh, open yourself up and, and, and surrender and you, you get to that place where, the, where, where you are convicted of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. That, that, that is what begins your relationship with Christ. You are born again and, and you experience new life being born again. And yet I want to tell you once again that it does not end there, but there is a, 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 a secondary promise, receive ye the Holy Spirit, an indication of salvation and new life. But there is a secondary promise that we see in Luke 24, that we see in Acts chapter 1, and we see in Acts chapter 2, and we see this process throughout the book of Acts that indicates that there is also a greater fullness of the Holy Spirit, an empowering of the Holy Spirit, and immersing in the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and carry out the mission of God. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's another experience that he tells the disciples, hold on, before you go out and do what I've called you to do, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Go and wait. Go and wait for this. And he refers to this promise as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John referenced it. And Jesus tells him to wait. And then we see it poured out 
In Acts chapter 2, we see it poured out starting in verse 1 when the day of Pentecost, that's what we're celebrating today, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seated, sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And you might be saying, well, what, what's happening here? What's happening at Pentecost? What's, what's happening on this day? What They were waiting and they were praying and they were seeking and because Jesus had told them to. And so they waited and they prayed. And now there's this encounter. This, there's, there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What's happening? And during that feast of Pentecost, there were others that were asking the same question. What's happening? What, what's going on? Some were, were kind of confused when they began to hear what was happening of those in the upper room as they were speaking in these unlearned languages, and, and it caught everybody's attention. Some thought, these people are drunk. They're acting crazy. What's going on with them? And Peter stands up, and Peter gives the explanation under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Peter gives this explanation. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Remember, we read it earlier. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter says, listen, what's happening here? This isn't some strange, weird, we're not drunk. What's happening here is the fulfillment of a promise. It's the fulfillment of a promise. This is what God promised us. This is what he said was coming. And friends, the day is here in which this promise is being fulfilled. The day has come in which God is fulfilling his promise to pour out his spirit. This is what we've been anticipating. This is what we've been waiting for. And he goes on to preach under the anointing and under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the people say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off from all, from all whom the Lord our God will call. Friends, this promise is for us. This promise is for us. It wasn't simply a promise for those select few on the day of Pentecost who were waiting in the upper room. No, Peter says, friends, this promise is for you. It's for you and it's for your children and it's for all those that are afar off. It's for every generation that follows that you too can receive this promise of the Holy Spirit. Peter's quick to point out that, that again, this isn't a select few. Now, what's the significance? I want to back up for a moment, and I want to spend a little bit of time. What's the significance of the sights and the sounds and the things that happened 
on the day of Pentecost. There were several things that happened on the day of Pentecost, right? There was wind that was blowing. There was fire that was falling. They were, they were speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them, or other tongues, as we say. I want to I talk about the dynamics that are provided uh, during this moment, and they're provided as evidence to us. Okay, sometimes we need a little bit of evidence. This was a new thing. Well, how do I know that I've received what Jesus has promised? How do I know if I've received his Holy Spirit? How do I, how do I, how do I know that? And, and I believe that, again, as these disciples were, were called to wait, how did they know? And I think the dynamics that were happening in that moment on the day of Pentecost were, were some of the things that helped them understand and know that what they were receiving was exactly what Jesus Jesus had promised them. God chose certain signs and sounds and speech that immediately registered with them that what the promise they had been waiting for was exactly the promise that they were receiving. Let me show you what I mean. I'm talking about three main signs and symbols of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, wind, wind was a sign and a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The same Hebrew word that is translated wind is also the word that is translated spirit. It's the Hebrew word ruach. You got to get that guttural if you're going to say it in Hebrew. Ruach. You know, you just got to clear your throat. Ruach. And, and, and it means breath of God. Ruach is breath of God. And when, when God, as we read earlier, when God made Adam uh, and brought him into the garden, he breathed into him, Ruach, the breath of life. It wasn't just breath, it was spirit. He, he breathed into him the breath of life. It was, the, it was what God had, had breathed in. And how many remember later on in the book of Ezekiel, there's, a, there's a, a vision that Ezekiel has of a valley that is filled with dry bones. And it's, it's a picture of Israel that had been dead and dry, an army of dead and dry bones. And, and God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the bones that they, will, that they will live. And there was a rattling and there was a coming together of the bones. And, the, and there was an army, but there was a problem. Although the bones had come together, although the skin and the sinews and everything had come together to form, there was no life in them. And then God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesied to the breath, and it wasn't until the breath of God breathed life that there was a vibrant army. It caught by the breath of God, the spirit, the ruach of God. The sound of the mighty rushing wind no doubt allowed the disciples in that room to go, uh-oh, something's happening here. This is a little bit different. There is the wind of God. There is the breath of God. <laughs> about fire in the Old Testament? Fire. What was, what was fire a symbol of in the Old Testament? God oftentimes provided fire to show that he was accepting a sacrifice. When there was a sacrifice that was being accepted, an offering from heaven, fire would come down from heaven. On two occasions in the Old Testament, God accepted a sacrifice when the dedication of the temple, when, when Solomon was dedicating the temple unto God, literally as they had the offerings that they were making to God, fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering. Later, when they had come back and they would, had rebuilt the temple once again and they were offering sacrifices and, and preparing those sacrifices to God in that temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. 
How many remember when Elijah was in a showdown against the prophets of Baal, and he formed the, the, the offering before God, and he said, the God who answers by fire, he is the God. And fire came down from heaven when, when, when Elijah began to pray and consume the sacrifice. It was, fire was this, this idea that God was accepting the sacrifice. It was an indication of the presence of God accepting the sacrifice. Now, why do I say the temple is so important? Because Paul makes a connection to us about our bodies, that our bodies are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And the, the sign of fire, no doubt, was, a, was a, an understanding and evidence of God's acceptance in God's presence that now, as a new group of individuals, no longer in a building of a temple, but God would come by His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. A house and a dwelling of God. And throughout the Old Testament, prophetic speech was also a sign and a symbol of God's presence. Let me give you a, a, a couple of examples. In Numbers chapter 11, God tells Moses, he says, Moses, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on 70 elders. I've anointed you. You're one of the select that I've anointed. You're, my presence, my spirit, my anointing is on you. But you know what? You can't do this job alone. You need others. And so I'm going to take my spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on, on, on 70 elders. And so, so they, they began to, to come together. And Numbers 11.25 says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with him and took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. What was the indication that they knew that the Spirit had come and rested on them? That they prophesied. These 70 elders began to prophesy. The Spirit of God came upon them. In fact, there were two of them, Eldad and Medad, that were kind of like, you know, many people today that have trouble getting to church on time. They had trouble getting there on time, and they were kind of out, and, and they, hadn't, they hadn't even been there. But the Spirit came down upon them, and they were prophesying too. And Joshua was like, well, what should we do about that? They're prophesying. And Moses said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. In other words, Moses understood the value of what happens when we walk under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew the value of the presence of God so much so that when God said, you know what, I'm done with these people. You take them into the promised land, but my spirit will not go with you. My presence will not go with you. He said, if you don't go with us, we will not go. I think that too many times, friends, we are anemic in our faith because we are moving out in our own power, in our own talent, in our own gifting, and not under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We don't value the presence of the Lord enough. We don't value the power of the Lord enough to understand that in, if we are going to be effective in what God has called us to do, we need to be filled with His Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with His Holy Spirit. In the passage of Joel that promises the Spirit's outpouring, all your sons and daughters would prophesy. When, when Saul had, had had the Spirit of God, he was counted among the prophets. He was prophesying. There was, there, was a, there was something to do with speech, something to do with 
utterance that indicated the presence and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's throughout the Old Testament. And so now, prophetic speaking, undeniable sign of God's presence upon an individual that as these disciples now in the upper room were waiting and praying, there was the wind and moving of the Holy Spirit. There was the fire of God that was coming down as tongues of fire to come and rest and say, I'm accepting you. There was a there was a holiness and a, and a purity and an acceptance that, that my spirit is coming down. And what followed that, what followed that was a, a speech sign where they began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the spirit enabled them. It was a sign that they had received the promise of the Holy Spirit. That was the sign, an indelible confirmation from God. And throughout the book of Acts, you see, once again, you see that, that following a salvation experience, like uh, when, when Philip had gone to Samaria, and, and he began to preach as an evangelist, and, and there, was, there, was, there, was, there was persecution, and move Philip, and Philip goes into Samaria, and Philip begins to preach in Samaria. The people get, there's signs and wonders, people get saved, and then Peter and John come, and when Peter and John come, why did they come? Because they'd not yet received the Holy Spirit. So following a conversion experience comes the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We want to lay hands on them, and later they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there was something, we don't know if it was, it doesn't say tongue specifically, but there was something in which Simon, who was a sorcerer and did all kinds of things, said, you know what, There's, I, I want to buy that. He noticed something. It wasn't just some internal thing that nobody else knows. There was some external sign that something had happened. In Acts chapter 10, when, when, when Peter goes to Cornelius, as he's preaching to Cornelius, all of a sudden, uh, uh, at one point, Cornelius and his family put their faith in the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And how do they recognize it? It says in Acts chapter 10, you can read it, I don't have time, but they began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak in other tongues. That was how they recognized it. And in Acts chapter 19, when, 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 when Peter, or not Peter, when Paul uh, goes and, and, and he, 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 he enters into Philippi, he, he's, he's meeting, or Ep, excuse me, Ephesus, he's meeting with some believers that are there, and he says to them, he finds the believers, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, what baptism did you receive? And they said, the baptism of the, the, the baptism of John. And he says, well, John was pointing to Jesus. So he leads them to faith in Jesus. He lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. There's a, there's a, 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 a speech, a language thing that is always an evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's always a secondary work from conversion. Now, uh, pastor, do I, do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or speak in tongues to be saved? No. Okay. Can we just say that? Can we just put that out of the way? No. No, salvation is an experience by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a work of grace. And secondarily, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace that enables the believer to do what God has called the believer to do, to live as God has called the believer to live. And it's a promise that is not new, but it's a promise that was in the Old Testament that is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the baptizer. And I don't know about you, but I want every gift that Jesus wants to give. If Jesus says it's important, then I want it. If Jesus said it's important, then I want it. That same power and immersing presence of the Holy Spirit is promised to you and I today and to every believer. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I want to close with one last story, one last illustration of what I'm talking about. And it's an illustration that comes from Dr. Tony Evans, and, uh, and, and he offers this analogy. He says, suppose you go to your, your, you know, whatever appliance store is your favorite, wherever you buy your appliances, whatever your favorite appliance store, and, and you, want a, you're, you're, you want a brand new refrigerator. I mean, it is time. Like, I need a refrigerator. And so you go, you look at all the models, you decide that you want the best of the best. So you, you, you got like 6,000 bucks and you're going to spend like 6,000 bucks on one of these like high-end refrigerators. And so you go and you dole out 600 bucks and they, they, they deliver it to you and they, they bring it in and you prepare the place in your kitchen, you know, and, and while you're waiting on them to deliver it, you go to the grocery store because you know they're delivering it later that day. You go to the grocery store, you buy all your favorites. I mean, you, you buy your, 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 you know, like, Rocky Road ice cream that you just absolutely love, you know, because you're going to put it in the freezer and it, you know, I'm just waiting. You get your chocolate milk and, you know, you get your chicken because you're going to grill chicken later and you want that. And then you get, you get all your veggies and all your, and you just ready to pack this refrigerator that you have just spent this $6,000 on and, and they set it up, you know, they, they deliver it and you put it in place instead of you put all your stuff in it and then you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and the ice cream is all melted down all over the floor. And, and, and the, the vegetables are starting to spoil and the chicken just smells rancid and the milk, oh my goodness, it's all, and you get mad. What is wrong with this thing? I spent $6,000 on this thing. And you call up the store and you say, we got a problem, this thing isn't working, I've got a mess here and it smells and everything else. And they, they say, well, hold on, I don't understand. Let, let's, let me look a few things, open it up. Is there a light on? No, there's no light on. Okay, all right. Why don't you listen? Is there a hum? Do you hear any kind of a hum? No, I don't hear any kind of a hum. Well, kind of pull it out a little bit and look in the back. And when you do, is the cord plugged in? Oh, no. No, the cord's not plugged in. Why? Wait a minute. If I spend $6,000, the cord shouldn't even need to be plugged in. It just ought to work for $6,000, right? It's got every component that it needs to work. And then the salesperson kind of coaches you a little bit and says that, that a refrigerator is a, is a dependent machine. It's dependent upon electricity. It's dependent upon an external power source if it's going to work. Yes, it has all of the components that it needs, but unless it is plugged into the power source, it, it, it is not able to function as it is supposed to do. Friends, I wanna let you know that you and I have been given everything that we need, but unless we are plugged in to the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't function as God has called us to. We need the Holy Spirit, and Jesus knew that. He knew that we needed the Holy Spirit. He knew that we needed salvation and grace, and that's why God sent Jesus to give his life. But Jesus knew that if we were going to live as God has, had, had wanted us to live, that we needed to know that we could plug in and be dependent upon this external power source of the Holy Spirit that he said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. We need the Holy Spirit. You and I need the Holy Spirit. And so as we close this service, the worship team's gonna lead us, but I wanna invite you to begin to just seek and say, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, but you know what? It's not a one-time thing. We need to continually come and say, God, I leak, <laughs> come and fill me up again. God, I leak, come and fill me up again. 
And you, maybe you want to be laid hands on today. Maybe you want to, maybe you've not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We want to lay hands on you today and pray for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit today as the worship team leads us in prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for promising us and fulfilling the promise and, and coming and giving us your Holy Spirit. We need your Spirit. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We don't want to quench you today. We want to surrender to you today. We want to be filled with more and more. We want to be immersed in your presence, in your power. So Holy Spirit, will you come and immerse us today? Will you come and fill us afresh today? Will you come and, and just fill us up today? We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. Come, we yield ourselves and we wait on you. Come and fill us afresh today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.